Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Inspiring you to bring God back into the conversation of the day. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Thursday, the 20th of February, 2020. I am Carmen LaBerge. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Uh, Let's see. Yesterday in my kitchen, um, I had a person who said, you know, these are the ways that I really, I need some prayer. Would you you pray for me in these ways? And after she made the litany of of prayer requests, you know, then, of course, I wanted to pray right then and uh, about those concerns right then and there. And so my question this morning is, for whom are you praying? today, right now, and who is praying for you? Um, have you intentionally asked other Christians to pray for you, for the concerns in your life um, where you really, you'd like God's input and his wisdom, you'd like to know his will, you'd like access um, to to the full knowledge of God's desires on certain things. Um, so let me encourage you to not only be praying today, intentionally and ardently for those who have asked, like just literally, I I, I actually just stop and pray right then and there for the person so that I can make good on my promise to do so. Uh, And it doesn't really matter where you are because God's available and and the gift of prayer is accessible anywhere at all times. And so it doesn't matter if you're in the middle of the grocery store line or standing in the middle of uh, your kitchen or someone else's kitchen. It doesn't matter if you're in the middle of a restaurant or in, in the middle of another public place. Trust me when I tell you, other people don't care what you're doing. Like It's not, it is a public witness of sorts in that we're just um, not self-conscious about just bowing our heads and presenting our concerns to God. It is a public witness that we acknowledge that God is present in all times and in all places and concerned about everything uh, about which we are concerned. So it is a public witness of sorts, but it it's a much more important thing to just do. It, it's just important to pray right then and right there and make good on the promise that you've made to another person to pray for them. So for whom have you promised to pray uh, over the, the, the past days and weeks and months and even years? And are you doing it? Like that's the convicting question this morning. Um, and then the other question is, who? Who are you asking? I'm probably going to use the who and whom incorrectly here. So my grammarians out there this morning, you're welcome to text me at 877-933-2484 and tell me um, how I am inappropriately using who and whom in, in this sentence because I'm bad at that. Um, who are you asking to pray for you? Whom are you asking? I don't know. Who or whom? Paul, which one is That it? would be who because yeah, who is uh, subject as the subject, <sighs> whom is more object. So you pray... Yeah. To whom, but anyway, there you go. Well, thank you. So, um, so here's my here's my big, big, big answer to the question today about in terms of who is praying for us or who's praying for you specifically. Jesus is praying for you. Like, how cool is that? I just like get your mind, wrap your mind around that for just a moment. Jesus has prayed for you. 
is praying for you, is interceding right now at the right hand of the Father on your behalf. If you are in Christ, if you are a Christian, Jesus is praying for you right now. And if you want to know how Jesus prays for you, John 17 is one of the great places where we can read not only how Jesus prayed for the disciples who were around him right then, but where Jesus actually says, hey, Father, I'm not just praying for these who are right here and right now. I'm praying for all those who will believe through the testimony of these whom you have given me. And that's us. That's you and me. Jesus is praying for you and for me. John 17, a great place to turn and um, read how Jesus is praying for you and for me today. All right. Uh, first conversation up this morning, Ben Johnson from the Acton Institute. He and I are going to talk about free speech um, on college campuses. We're going to talk about the legal battle for free speech on college campuses and then actually how that's working itself out. Oh, and for those of you in Madison, Wisconsin, I don't know if you know this, but your school district um, actually allows students to determine their own gender pronouns and their preferred name. And the school district does not feel obligated in any way to tell the parents about that. So we're going to talk about that as well. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. This is my right. So joining me now is Ben Johnson from the Acton Institute. You can find him at Acton, A-C-T-O-N dot O-R-G. You can also find him uh, on all the social medias. He is the rights writer. So, um, Ben, good morning. Good morning, Carmen. So I, um, I'm, reading, uh, I'm reading at The Hill. I'm also reading from David French over at the French Press um, that constitutional rights, although priceless, uh, are not always perfectly upheld on our college campuses today, and that there there are these legal promises being made, and then there is reality. So we have these we have these espoused, um, and they're and they're they're laws, so they're concretized. But these these things that we say about free speech, and then we have the actuality of the suppression of free speech on college campuses. So tell us what's going on. Yes. So in uh, Georgia Gwinnett College, uh, the uh, a group of students have been cited because they're handing out leaflets, Christian leaflets. And A, some people objected to the message, but B, uh, the real issue was that they were handing out leaflets in one of the areas that was not a, quote, free speech zone on campus. So uh, students are limited to uh, just a few areas, very small areas on campus, where they're allowed to express their free speech rights. The entire rest of uh, campus is supposed to be more or less viewpoint neutral. Uh, Now, mind you, this is not a a form of aggression. They weren't stuffing the pamphlets into people's hands or anything. They're going to be passing out Christian literature. Uh, So they're fulfilling the Great Commission, in other words. And the Great Commission uh, is supposed to go into all the world, but on Georgia Gwinnett campus, all the world is just a couple of small zones on campus. So uh, that's that's uh, basically the issue. And it's one that we've seen all over the country. Uh, those of us who've been in uh, the fight have seen this for years, that uh, free speech is limited either to a very narrow portion of campus 
or just a few hours on campus, certain times of the day when people are allowed to express themselves, and that the uh, rest of the campus is supposed to be viewpoint neutral, where uh, people can mix in peace. And, of course, the more that uh, the more the time goes on, the worse that these things get. We're, we're, in a, we're living in an age where a lot of people believe that speech is violence, that uh, if you violate their rights uh, in, in terms of... Uh, of offending them in any way, shape, form, or fashion by saying anything that they disagree with, that uh, you have harmed their person, and that uh, they have the right to uh, to uh, either respond in kind or to respond with violence. So uh, this is this is essentially the uh, the hub of it. The Alliance Defending Freedom is involved in this case, and uh, we wish them the very best. But uh, anyone who's involved in the Great Commission and anyone who has a student on campus. Uh, and anyone who believes in the First Amendment should wish them well. So it's not this is not an issue that's just isolated to, you know, one campus in Georgia. Um, this is this is something that students are facing across the country um, on campuses. Uh, the University of Wisconsin, I know there's a um, there's an active issue there uh, in terms of a student group called Badger Catholic. Um, I know that there are cases in California related to this where the amount of ground on the campus that students are um, allowed to use in terms of these free speech zones is is the equivalent of like if you were thinking of uh, uh, an NFL stadium, um, the equivalent of the free speech zone on the University of California campus is the equivalent of one seat. Um, and so when we talk about these kinds of things, I think that it's helpful for um, for our listeners to understand, like we live in the United States of America where I should be free to express myself anywhere all the time. And yet on places uh, on these campuses, many of them public uh, public universities. Right. I mean, we're talking about the University of Wisconsin. We're talking about the University of, of California. We're talking about um, the the university system in the state of Georgia. We're not talking about private schools. We're talking about public universities. And it's in these places where speech, free speech, is now literally confined to tiny patches of ground um, called these free speech zones. Does that even sound fair, let alone American to you? Right. It sounds anti-American because it is. Uh, If you're dealing especially with a public campus, 100 percent of the area should be a free speech zone. 100 percent. That was the entire uh, raison d'etre for us in securing the Constitution, in believing that this is an inalienable right, can't be uh, alienated by definition by government. So it it doesn't matter uh, whether we're dealing with students or, or what the situation is. Particularly, as you say, when we're dealing with a publicly funded entity, uh, then the Constitution should apply everywhere. But and, and ironically, when, when you're dealing with this, uh, the, the very beginning of this movement was the so-called free speech movement at the University of California at Berkeley back in the 1960s. They had Free Speech Alley, where supposedly anyone could come forward and state their, uh, state their view, particularly about the Vietnam War and civil rights and things of that sort. But as the generation that came through the so-called free speech movement began to uh, work its way in the long march through the institutions, suddenly free speech got turned on its head. Uh, And I I should say, although it's somewhat uh, uh, an additional conversation here, that in many ways people believe that, uh, as I say, the First Amendment 
right to speech is considered violence if you say the wrong thing. Uh, for example, many cases in uh, Northern Kentucky University and Western Kentucky University, students set up a pro-life display that uh, simply had a number of crosses that represented the number of abortions. It was not the number of abortions by any, by any stretch. They didn't have that much space, but they set up crosses. There was a, there was a uh, professor who led her class to go out and destroy the crosses. When they were asked about this, she said that she had seen what the pro-life movement had done, and she said, quote, I encouraged my class to exercise their First Amendment rights of free speech by tearing down the crosses. So in some cases, they believe that squashing the First Amendment is equal to exercising the First Amendment. Uh, that's the kind of backwards, bizarro world that we're living in when it comes to constitutional rights, particularly on campus, especially for Christians. All right. When we come back, we're going to talk about the treatment of um, of conservatives on college campuses, uh, and we're going to talk about a range of other topics as well. Uh, ben Johnson is my guest from the Acton Institute. You can find him at Acton, A-C-T-O-N dot O-R-G. We'll be right back. Returning to my conversation with Ben Johnson from the Acton Institute. Uh, he is the rights writer. I love to talk with him about the uh, the rights that we have, not only as Americans, but because he is a fellow Christian. It's an opportunity for us to talk about the intersection of um, our religious freedom and our religious views with all of the other rights and responsibilities that we have as citizens of this great nation. So, Ben, I want to talk with you about what is happening in Madison, Wisconsin. Um, parents filed a lawsuit this week against the um, Madison School District over their transgender policy. And let me just read our listeners in on this um, with a couple of paragraphs. Madison schools adopted a policy in 2018 that states a person's gender identity um, could be a wide range of things and that it is the student's um, opportunity to self-designate their gender identity and the name that will be used for them in school. Um, However, uh, while teachers and district staff are required to use the child's or the student's uh, preferred gender pronoun and the student's preferred name um, with the student, listen to this sentence, all teachers and district staff must refer to the student by their um, uh, by their given name, by their given name when talking with the parents. They have to use the legal name of the child and the pronouns when talking with the family because they are trying to keep that information secret. The gender identity that the student is using at school and the name the student is using at school are not shared with the family of the student. What is going on here? Right. Uh, Basically, the uh, school district there at the university at at, uh, Madison, Wisconsin, has gone all in on uh, the transgender identity and in the idea that an unemancipated minor has the ability and the wisdom to choose his or her own gender, uh, one of uh, apparently a wide variety, not simply one of the two, but uh, a vast uh, variety of non-binary options as well, and that the parents don't have the right, A, to uh, to object, and B, to even know what's happening. And uh, part of the reason, that, part of uh, the thing that is very important in this is the dating. As you mentioned, this was 2018. Both of those are provisions that were in the uh, guidance that was sent to all the school districts during the Obama administration in the waning days of that administration. Uh, So, in other words, this would have been 
part of um, part of uh, decision. Madison's like interpretation. Yeah, like yeah, like this, this school this, district's this interpretation. Would have, well, it would have been, and it would have been nationwide uh, had uh, a following administration decided to enforce that uh, understanding. So, so this is this is uh, the university uh, town of uh, Madison, Wisconsin, going all in against parental rights. Now, parental rights are key, uh, which is to say, we're dealing with unemancipated minors making major life decisions, and because they are under the age of eighteen, parental rights should be key in all ways. Once they're they're over the age of 18, they have the right to say whatever they wish, to do whatever they wish. But as long as we are dealing with children, genuine children from kindergarten forward, parental rights should be preeminent. And for here you have the state inserting itself between child and parent, and not only taking the child's side, but entirely removing the parent from this decision. And again, you would have seen this nationwide uh, had this uh, had the uh, 2016 election gone a different way and a different administration had enforced this. Wow, I'm thinking that if we've got teachers um, who are listening to us in Madison on 104.7 FM or AM 1190, um, man, I, I think we want to I think we want to hear from you at some point on this topic. So um, you can always reach out to me. Just let me know that you're out there, and we'll figure out a way to um, to have a conversation about this in an upcoming. Uh, in, in an upcoming show, you can always uh, text me at 877-933-2484 or email me, Carmen, at MyFaithRadio.com. The reason I want to uh, know what Christians who are in the classrooms of, uh, of the Madison School District are experiencing, I'm, I'm just trying to imagine, Ben, what it's like to be a teacher in an environment where I have to keep track of, um, of the gender dysphoric um, pronouns that are preferred today by particular students— and their preferred names. But then I have to remember that when their parent sends me an email or checks in on something, I am not to refer to them um, by their preferred name, but but by their legal name. And I have to keep all of that straight for, you know, 50 kids at a time. I'm, I'm just telling you, I mean, I, I just feel like the uh, the challenge, the, the layers of challenge that we're putting on educators today um, is problematic for me as well, in addition to, obviously, the worldview concern that we're allowing people who are gender dysphoric or, or frankly, people who just want to mess around with teachers. Um, I mean, this is, this is a way of the students being able to absolutely manipulate uh, their, the educational process. It is. And you're dealing with, uh, as you say, not just two pronouns, he or she, but you have other options, Z and so on. Any, and essentially, whatever the uh, pronoun that the uh, the child decides is the correct uh, pronoun that goes with the gender non-binary description of how they dis- describe their own gender the student uh, then implies that enforces that on the school district and on their parents even though they're not legally capable of doing that according to our legal system uh, you know we, they would have to wait until they were adults under our under our uh, legal understanding they have to wait until they're adults to do so many things and yet here they get to make uh, life-altering decisions apart from their parents because the state has decided that uh, transgender rights trump parental rights. And that's incredibly difficult. And you're right. If you're, a, if you're a teacher, I can't imagine. This is like having an ISP for every single individual. And then you have to switch back and forth in what is essentially state-ordered deception of the parents. Uh, you know, this, I, I'm, I imagine, would be like uh, having a wife and a mistress and continually going back and forth in your mind which alternate reality you're living through. Again, I say, as I understand, I don't have any personal experience, but 
but that would tend to be uh, the kind of thing where teachers have to remember so many things in addition to simply doing their job, which is trying to educate students. Uh, so here you have people who are on the state payroll freezing parents out of their own children's lives. Uh, we should never allow that to take place. In addition to the fact that these are children, uh, we have to understand that when it comes to children, uh, they don't have the maturity, A, to, to choose their own gender, B, to vote, or C, to do many of the other things that uh, this culture is setting them up to do. Uh, there's a reason that, parental, that parents have been uh, given parental rights and control over uh, these unemancipated minors because they don't have the insight, the wisdom, and the consequences could be unbelievable uh, for everyone involved. Uh, but especially it could be potentially life-altering and harmful for the students uh, who are involved if they make a mistake. That's the reason that we entrust, that God has entrusted young people to their parents who have a lifelong love and concern for them, not for uh, state custodians who see them nine months out of the year and that uh, the custodians change year after year, uh, depending on what school district you're in and what school you're in and what grade you deal with. The school district has no business doing this parents' rights should be understood and acknowledged, and at a minimum, uh, they should be informed about what's going on in their students' lives. And, of course, they should be empowered uh, to do all that they can to shape their children for a successful future according to their values and their faith. The state has no role in inserting itself in between those two. Let's be quick um, here at the close of our conversation, Ben, to encourage families who are struggling um, with this in their own context, who have children who are gender dysphoric or who are um, struggling with homosexuality or questions about transgenderism, let's direct them to some help, helpforfamilies.org. That's the number four in the middle, helpforfamilies.org. Um, ben Johnson, thank you so much, as always, for joining us today, uh, helping us understand the intersection of religion and ethics and uh, and the news headlines that, uh, that we're living in uh, right now. Thanks, my friend. Thank you, my friend. We'll be right back. You know, if you listen often, then I have a heart not only for the local church, but I have a heart for the way that the church networks together um, with with other churches in the same community or across the city um, or across a nation or around the world in order to accomplish the kingdom advancing work of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Well, there is a network of churches in Minnesota called Transform Minnesota that is um, seeking to provide those spaces and places for pastors and Christian leaders to wrestle together through the complex issues of life, um, to equip each of us to engage in and dialogue about society's most critical issues from a biblical perspective. Um, and so next up, we're going to have a conversation with Carl Nelson and David Miles, uh, who have some experience with Transform Minnesota. And we're going to talk specifically about an upcoming um, event. But, um, but I want you to just think for a moment about how pleasing it is to God when we live out John 17 in, uh, in this particular way, when we intentionally seek uh, other Christians out and we, and we seek them out for um, for fruitful conversation, and then for um, collective or collaborative witness in the world that God so loves, that others might come to know Christ because of the way we love one another. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. So have you ever wanted to, you, you've heard somebody on the radio and you've thought, I really want to meet them in real life. Uh, so there's an opportunity to meet me and 
to meet Susie Larson and Karen Kingsbury and Alicia Britt uh, Showley and others at the Northwestern Christian Writers Conference this summer. So it's July 24 and 25. It is on the campus of the University of Northwestern St. Paul. And it's an opportunity for you and I to meet in real life. Uh, And so let me encourage you to go ahead and visit NorthwesternChristianWritersConference.com. You get 10% off registration during the month of February. So good, good opportunity, good time to go ahead and register for the Northwestern Christian Writers Conference.com, and you and I can meet in real life. We'll be right back. Conflict comes in many forms. Sometimes it explodes in boiling burst of anger. Other times it comes over the house like a sheet of ice, sending a chill across your relationships. So, what's the temp in your household today? Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. I challenge you to take a positive view of conflict, whether it's heated debate with your teens or awkward silence. Consider this. If you've ever prayed to be the parent God has called you to be, that's what he's doing. The process may throw you off balance, but conflict with your kids may be refining your character in ways you never imagined. No matter the temperature in your household, trust God to guide you and help you make the most of his refining work in you. Parenting teens isn't for the faint of heart. Want more help from Mark Gregston? Check out his latest resources online at parentingtodaysteens.org. Joining me now, Carl Nelson, and in a moment, David Miles from Transform Minnesota. Carl, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Good morning. It's great to be here with you. Well, it's wonderful to have you with us. Um, let, let's start with um, what is Transform Minnesota, um, what is the vision behind it, and, and why are you involved in it? Transform Minnesota is a, a network of evangelical churches from different denominations, um, and really our work and our vision is to say, how do we help bring Christian leaders together to engage the most complex issues of our day from a biblical perspective? So the vision that drives us is we, we want to see, like like every other Christian, we want to see the gospel of Jesus spread and impact every community in our state. And and we know that in order for the, the church to really have its greatest impact today, we, we have to wrestle with society's critical issues. And so through leadership conferences and forums and seminars and, and convening and gathering leaders together to, to learn together and with each other, we're working to try to make that happen in Minnesota. And we're talking about um, folks from a variety of denominations, ethnicities, perspectives, and yet... Um, there is this shared common ground. You do intentionally, you know, in the description there, use the word um, evangelical. Uh, Others might use the word conservative or orthodox. I think of ECOTS, right? Evangelical, conservative, orthodox, or traditional, depending on, you know, sort of the the word that somebody chooses to use. So we're really talking about um, a conversation that is being had among people who at least have a common ground understanding of of what the faith is, what what the scriptures are, like right, some of those foundational things are part of the framework in order that you can then have the conversations about difficult topics of the day. Absolutely. So we center ourselves really around the person of Jesus Christ and the work of Jesus and and the Bible, um, saying that the Bible is going to be how we're going to look. Uh, that's going to be the lens uh, through mm-hmm. which we look at issues and how do we respond. And so. 
um, you know, for us, our our history, our background, you know, we've been around since the mid-1960s as a network, um, started yeah. off as an evangelical association specifically. Um, and that evangelical is still kind of the language that we use to define our, our faith. So I want to talk about this um, Sankofa journey to harmony, which is one of the I'll, I'll just use I'll just use the term vehicle. It's one of the vehicles that you use to um, not only initiate but really pursue these conversations. Tell us what Sankofa is, um, and then I, I want to talk about this idea of intentionally pursuing the past. Like this is this is curious to me. Yeah. So Sankofa is uh, a word from uh, a language in Ghana, which means to go back to the past, uh, to look back at the past, to understand the present, and. So um, what we have done with this and others have preceded us uh, is that we've taken a group of about 30 pastors on a four-day, essentially it's like a civil rights pilgrimage. Um, So pastors, both predominantly white and black, everybody is paired with somebody of a different race. And we go on this four-day trip, uh, fly to Atlanta, uh, travel to Montgomery and Birmingham and Selma and Memphis and really kind of look back at some of um, our country's history and kind of go to some places to really kind of dig into um, parts of our past, uh, the, the racial division, the history of slavery and uh, the segregation of the, of the last century to in order to try to understand better wh- you know, what are the issues that we are facing today? How do we understand wh- how we got where we are? And so our our goal is to, you know, a couple things. One is to build relationships between leaders from the same community so that we've got this spiritual connection that sustains us uh, to move forward through some difficult conversations and difficult sharing of, of different perspectives that we all accumulate, as, as well as then to um, really be able to understand our context better so that we can look ahead and, and say, well, how do we solve this? If we understand the causes of where we are at today, we're better able to um, bring biblical solutions to that. So I am talking with Carl Nelson. Uh, he is involved in an organization called Transform Minnesota. You can check it out at Transform MN. That's for Transform Minnesota, Transform MN. We're going to take a very brief break. When we come back, we're going to talk about some of the things that they have learned um, through these experiences of these Sankofa trips. And we're also going to talk about, um, if you live somewhere else in the country, how you might initiate this kind of, um, of experience that Transform Minnesota is offering, how you might initiate this kind of network where you live. We'll be right back. Continuing my conversation with Carl Nelson, he's the president and chief executive officer of Transform Minnesota. You can find um, a lot of information about the organization and what they're doing at Transform MN. That's for Minnesota, transformmn.org. Um, Carl, let's continue our conversation about um, about Sankofa, this journey to harmony. Um, it, it screams... Um, to me of the of the ethic that we are all created in the image of God, regardless of the color of our skin, um, and that we all stand on equal footing at creation and at the cross and in the kingdom of heaven. And yet those are not the lived experiences of many people in terms of um, uh, of their of the history of the United States of America, nor their lived experience right now um, as racial ethnic minorities in many places and spaces across the country and around the world. So um, talk with us about your experience with Sankofa 
and then um, and then your hope for this in terms of those who are going to participate this year. Yeah. So part of the reason that we are doing this in, in Minnesota in particular is to really bring awareness. So, um, you know, Minnesota doesn't, you know, is predominantly a white um, state. It's been changing in probably in the last decade. Uh, we have much more uh, racial and ethnic diversity. But in a lot of our churches, that is our history and our background. My own experience is that uh, I, I'm a farm kid from rural Minnesota, uh, and I grew up in a community where I was exposed to very little racial and ethnic diversity. But as I um, be, uh, came into leadership at Transform Minnesota about 15 years ago, and even before that, um, you know, really realized that you know, as Christians, we we needed to we need to engage in the conversation about how do we overcome the um, the racial disparities that exist uh, here in our own city in the in the Twin Cities and throughout our in other communities in Minnesota, and um, you know, there is there needs to be a particularly Christian biblical view of approaching this, and so. The Sankofa uh, journey is just one of several things that we are doing in, in terms of trying to train and help leaders, Christian leaders, take a, a particular biblical approach to these issues and, and learn and have uh, some understanding and relationships with each other to carry us forward. So if somebody's listening right now, which, you know, there's people listening all across our live listening markets, which is across the upper Midwest and into Hartford, Connecticut. But there's also people listening in, you know, states across the country uh, streaming at MyFaithRadio.com. And then there'll be people who will pick this up via podcast later on. Um, And they're going to say to themselves, well, that's all well and good for Minnesota. And I'm really excited that Transform Minnesota exists. But, you know, I want to transform Tennessee. I want to see God transform uh, Missouri. I want to see God transform Connecticut. How? What? What might be a first step for me as a Christian in my own community, seeking to build this kind of network of relationships um, among among Christian leaders in in my own space? So one of the we focus on connecting pastors and church leaders uh, because we feel like we want to we want to impact those influence leaders. And so one thing to do if, if you're a church leader is simply make up a priority to connect with ministerial fellowships or other networks like that in, that already exist in your community. You know, across almost every community in the United States, there is some kind of pastoral ministerial prayer group or gathering and make it a priority. Invest in those. Lots of times, um, those groups are are looking for somebody who's going to be the champion and the leader of it to kind of call out this spirit of let's unite around the person of Jesus Christ and let's think about how we collectively um, proclaim the gospel of Jesus and impact our communities for the common good. So I mean, making that a priority is is simply one. I think there's also, as Christians, we need to look into our own hearts um, and really adopt um, the mindset of Jesus and adopt the mindset of the, the first century Christians, which valued um, the, uh, a diverse network of Christians and believers. If you look at the New Testament church, it's amazing and it's been very instructive to me of how the gospel of Jesus was first proclaimed in a society that was uh, dominated by division and separation of people. And the gospel brings people together. One of the conversations that we've had here um, on the show is moving from uh, imagining that, well, you know, I'm not a racist, to actually embracing a lifestyle that's intentionally and actively anti-racist. It's one thing to, you know, sort of be passively not a racist. It's another thing to 
um, intentionally and actively engage these conversations in a way that says, look, if I'm not if I'm not a part of the solution, then I am passively a part of the problem. Um, what what give us an experience that you've had along the way in terms of maybe forming a relationship with a, you know, with a brother in Christ whose uh, whose ethnic background is different than your own, whose life experience is different than your own, where you've really felt, you know, you've just felt this transforming movement, not only in yourself, but in that in that relationship. Yeah, there have been several mentors in my life, um, you know, pastors, persons of color who have um, spoken into my life, who I've taken time to um, sit with and and have meals with um, people who have been on the board of directors of our organization, and and those conversations have been very instructive to me. And what you know, what I have learned to do is to realize that, especially when we're talking about uh, trying to understand life and perspectives across racial differences, is that um, I have to learn to trust the experience of other people. I won't experience, frankly, some of the things that they experience as a person of color. And, you know, and I can't doubt it. I can't deny it simply because I don't experience. I have to, um, I have to trust what they're telling me and believe it and kind of move forward in action based on um, my relationship with them. So that's been, I think that has been one of the things that has really impacted myself is to um, to be to be intentional about being informed by the experience and the perspective of others who have a different one than I do. Yeah, that, that I'm reminded there to make no assumptions. Like the other person's lived experience is so is so different than my own. I need to make no assumptions about the household they grew up in, or the neighborhood, or the school that they went to, or their experience of school, or you know, after school sports or even after school experience, I mean, like on and on and on and on and on. Like, you know, not everybody went to Disney World growing up. It's not everybody went to the beach. It's um, the the things that I might assume about having grown up um, are, are not even assumptions that I can make about any other person. Like I need to sit long enough and listen long enough and be curious and interested um, to actually discover what is this person's lived experience um, so that we can find some common common ground for building a relationship with one another. Um, and, and oftentimes, uh, Carl, in my experience, Jesus is the only thing I have in common with folks who grew up in ways completely different than me. Maybe they grew up in a house without a dad. They didn't, you know, they moved a lot. Their school yeah. was disruptive. They, I mean, you know, on and on and on. So yeah, that's, um, I've I, seen I think that that's ha- so helpful. I've seen that happen on, so the Sankofa journey that we take over four days, um, you know, the first day you have people together, you know, we're visiting different sites, we're traveling on a bus together, and there's a sense of, okay, do I know you and awkwardness? Um, But then we begin to talk about our faith and our relationship to Jesus. And by the second day, there is this, I've seen it every time uh, that I've got on this trip, there's this warm camaraderie and familiarity that emerges out of our shared identity in Jesus. So even though lots of life experience and cultural perspectives are different and sometimes hard to understand. Um, there becomes this um, familiar place, a uh, person of Jesus that actually kind of bonds us together. And that's been what has carried these relationships forward. I just love it. All right. I want folks to check out what Carl and the rest of the Transform Minnesota crew are doing. You can visit transformmn.org. Sankofa is spelled S-A-N-K-O-F-A if you wanted to Google that and uh, and check it out. 
Um, and again, let us all be pursuing the past in order that we might um, understand the present and impact the future in positive ways. Uh, and let's remember that um, that in Christ, we are indeed one with one another. Carl Nelson, thanks so much for being with us today on Mornings with Carmen. It was really a pleasure to be here. Thank you, Carmen. Absolutely. We'll be right back. Um, on the radio, maybe hearing right now everything that's happening in the studio, which is kind of exciting. <laughs> okay. Sometimes, you know, we have so many people involved in what we're doing. It's just an exciting day. Um, all right. So let me encourage you again today to be praying with and for other people. Um, recognize that Jesus is praying for you right now. That is so cool. Use John 17 uh, as a way of understanding the prayers of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, for you today. Um, Jesus wants us to be one as evidence to others that uh, that we know who he is and that we are knit together one to the other in the spirit of Christ. And so let's make that manifest today in some kind of particular way. Um, how might I today manifest the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace that we enjoy in Jesus that's just so radically different than the ways of the world? Like just pause on that for just a moment. How might I do that? Um, it may be as simple as showing real interest in another person um, or doing something that's just really, wow, different than the world does it. Instead of just telling somebody you'll pray for them, actually stop and pray for them right then and right there. All right, you're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We've got another hour up next. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.